Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, you don't have one here, you don't have one at home, please take that Bible home with you. This is the greatest gift God has ever given us besides His Son. Know it, use it, be friends with it. So if you don't need to have a Bible, go ahead and grab one. Ephesians chapter 2. We started Ephesians a couple weeks ago. We paused for a week and now we're getting back into it. But Ephesians chapter 2 is still kind of setting up the message of what God wants His people to remember. What God wants His people to think about and have a perspective on in how they live. Perspective is an interesting thing. Because perspective can be limited by time. So let me just say this. A lot of you have noticed I've lost some weight lately. I appreciate all the positive comments. Um, I have to admit... Probably about five, six days ago, there was a moment where I was kind of like, oh yeah, <laughs> feeling good. So I went and grabbed an old uh, Under Armour shirt that I had from back in the day, put that bad boy on and realized, got some work to do. <laughs> so it feels good to have lost weight. For a while I was thinking, I'm kind of looking good. Put on different clothes and went, never mind. Still fatty. Still got to work out a little bit more. Still got to keep your head down. Now I share that with you because that happens to all of us. Yes. All of us have things in our life that we want to get better at. We have things in our life that we want to progress at. And what happens is quickly we forget where we've been. And we only assess where we're at in the moment that's currently happening. And sometimes God goes, no, no, no. Step back. Remember the big picture. Remember the journey. Remember who you've been, what I've done, and how you've gotten to this place. If you forget those things, it sometimes blocks you from seeing the gifts you have. I think Memorial Day, like we talked about at the beginning of the service, is one of those days that kind of reminds you. How many of you, at some point this week, had a pity party for yourself? Right? A little sad about how unfair life is, how cruel things are, how tough the week was. There are people across this world that would go, you fools are so blessed just to live in this country. And you don't even realize that. We would literally die to have what you have, and you ignore that every day. That happens to us constantly. And so in the book of Ephesians, in chapters 1 and 2, what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to pull his people back for a second and go, remember who you are, remember where you've been, and remember what God has done for you. Because if you lose perspective, you will no longer see Him, you will no longer see what He's doing in your life, and you will no longer remember the path that you're on. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, He's trying to pull His people back. Let's jump in. Verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. What is he saying? Don't forget that you're a sinner. Now, look at me. If you've been going to church for many, many years or decades, I really need you to listen to this. You are a sinner. You're a terrible, no good, dirty, disgusting sinner. I am too. Don't ever forget that. 
Don't ever forget that. Don't think going to church on Sundays, don't think reading your Bible, don't think your activities suddenly change that one day, back in the past, you were a sinner. Now, we don't like to talk about this anymore, right? We like to talk about how great things God's going to do in our lives, and how He's going to empower us, and how He's going to bless us, and how He's going to do wonderful things. But brothers and sisters, the reason most of us miss the blessings He pours out every day is we forget this truth. We forget that we were sinners buried in a debt we could not pay, facing death all alone, and He pulled us out. And every day we forget that, we forget one of the greatest things He's ever done for us. Paul needs his people to remember, you're sick, you need the doctor. Don't fool yourself that because you're in the middle of treatment and because you have a wonderful doctor caring for you, healing you, and taking care of you, don't look in the mirror and go, I'm healthy. No, you're not. You need a Savior. You need an everyday Lord. You cannot do this on your own. He has already saved you from the darkest, deepest pits. Remember that and cherish it. There's a terrible thing that happens to all of us as we start to come to church and as we start to change in our relationship with God. We start to become better people. Now that part's okay. The problem is, is we have this ugly pride in ourselves that as we start to become better people, you know what we start to think? I'm a good person. You see what I've done? Man, I'm better than most of these people. Man, I do good things. I make an impact in the world. I'm a good person. No, you're not. God is an amazing God. He has replaced your heart. He is rebuilding you from the ground up. And He is using you to do wonderful things. But don't forget for a second that if you pulled Him from you, if He set you back alone to where you were back before Him, you would be that same person you were back then. You would be a selfish, greedy, self-centered individual lost and on the pathway to hell. We forget that. We forget that every day. You are not here to build a legacy for your name. You are not here so that one day when you die, people look at you and go, that was a great person. You are here so that people can see God used you to do amazing work. We always, always, always have to remember that. And the people who are most danger for this is church people. Because we're doing things that make us want to go, I'm good, I'm good, I'm doing well. Oh, I gave, oh, I served, oh, I went on a mission trip, oh, I read my Bible, oh, I prayed, oh, I did this. No, you are still a sinner. And you need a Savior. Don't ever forget that. He wants us to remember that. The second beautiful thing about it is not only does it remind us of what God has already done for us, which creates a gratitude in our hearts, but it reminds us to look at the people outside these walls differently. Sometimes as Christians, we have an ability to look at people who are exactly where we used to be and go, oh, those people. They're so lost. They're so terrible. They're so bad. You need to look at them and remember, man, I used to be there. I used to be there, but you know what? I met someone named Jesus. He pulled me from darkness into light. He has restored my heart. He has given me a love. And man, I want you to help come on this journey with me. It's been so amazing. I want you on this journey with me. 
you know the saddest thing that non-Christians say about Christians? Is that we're judgmental. Now, I'm not saying that you and I shouldn't have a moral code that God has given us that says there is right and wrong. But there is a difference between us saying there are things that are right and wrong and us not liking people. Us using their bad actions as excuses not to show them love. You should look at those folks and go right there with you. I've been in those shoes. I know how that goes. And so Paul is trying to center his people back on this message of remember who you are and remember what God has done for you. One, so that you are thankful and grateful in your heart. And two, so that you realize you're not done on this journey. There's a terrible thing that's happened in American Christianity where we act like the whole goal is just to create believers. Not disciples. There's a huge difference between believers and disciples. Believers are simply a set of people that go, I believe with my mind that these things are true. Do you know who is a believer? Satan. Satan actually knows more about Christ, his work, and his kingdom than you and I could ever help to know. Does that make him a disciple of God? Not at all. Mental acknowledgement of God's existence, mental acknowledgement that God's word has wisdom in it, does not make you a disciple. And it does not save you. What saves you is when you have that mental acknowledgement, and that acknowledgement leads you to a place where you go, I want to serve God. I want to serve the God that created this. I want to serve the God that loves like this. I want to serve the God that has that kind of power. I want to serve the God who went and took people out of darkness and brought them into light. That's who I want to be with. That's being a disciple. In Christianity in America, we have focused so much on putting butts in seats and getting people to walk aisles and take a dunk in a tank that we will tell you anything and everything to get you to walk the aisle. And then as soon as you do, we act like it's over. Great, thanks. You're on the team. Next. No. This is a journey that takes up the rest of your life. Why? Because you're chasing perfection. So guess when you reach it? Not in this lifetime. You reach it when He calls you home. You and I are always on a journey to be better, to be better, to be better. What better means is closer to Christ. Closer so that I hear His voice better. Closer so that I feel His love more. Closer so that I can use His power to change the world in which I live in. Constantly on that journey. Constantly moving forward. Constantly striving. There are some of you who have completely settled for who you are right now. There are some of you who go, oh, well, I used to be this. Then I met Jesus. I got fire insurance. If I die today, I'm going to heaven. I don't need to change anything else. There are some of you, you are no different in character. You are no different in faith. You are no different in hope. You are no different in spirit today than you were a year ago. That should scare you like nothing else. Because how are you in daily the presence of the almighty, awesome God and it doesn't change you? How's that possible? How can you daily be in the, most, in the presence of the most almighty, awesome force in the world and yet it leaves you with no impact? Something's wrong there. You and I have got to be constantly striving to be more. And not so that people think I'm great, 
but so that people look at Him and go, that God is amazing. That God is absolutely amazing. My son Tyler is four now. And one of the things he loves to do lately is he goes, do you guys remember when I was three? Do you remember when I was three and I used to sit in a car seat? And we're like, what, like six months ago? Yeah, we remember that. Do you remember that time I got scared in the middle of the night and had to come to your room? You mean last Tuesday? Yes, yes, we do remember that son. You and I are like that sometimes. We act like this distance from where we've been saved was so far along. We're not. You and I are just right after that moment that Christ has saved us. We are still fighting that darkness and we are still pursuing a life in the light. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that. Verse 4, look what he says. So you were children of darkness and wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what's he saying? He's saying, remember where you were. You were children of darkness. You were lost. You were facing death. And then what happened? God in His awesome power and motivated by an awesome love came to you, died for you, washed you clean of your sins, and then seated you on a throne beside Him. Don't forget that's happened. Like, brothers and sisters, it's funny. Like As Christians, this is one of those things we just take for granted. Do you realize not only did Christ die on that cross to wash you of all your guilt, but then after doing that, took a throne, put it by His own, and said, sit with me. I've taken you from convicted criminals, and I've raised you to princes and princesses. Who does that? What kind of love is that? I mean, it's enough for any of us to go to a death row inmate and go, pardoned. It'd be another to then go, you know what? And by the way, we're going to make you king. It's beyond logic. It's beyond completely even understanding. But brothers and sisters, every day of your life, you live in that truth. Do you act like it? I mean, do you realize if we truly measured like what he did there, shouldn't there just be like a joy in our hearts that is uncontainable? Just literally uncontainable. It should just be bursting forth from you. It should be just unbelievable excitement in your life every single day. And no matter what the world brings to your feet, sickness, bring it. I'm broke, bring it. Friends want to talk away, bring it. Bad relationships, bring it. Do you realize I was dead, made alive, and now I am royalty? Tell me what can be brought up next to that that goes, oh, that's not a big deal. 
answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now what God wants you to realize in this is, this is a gift from Him to you. You didn't earn it. It's a gift from Him to you. And this is a huge key cornerstone of Christianity. In fact, it is the one thing that makes us different from every other religion in the world. If you zoned out, pull back. The one thing that makes us different from every other religion in the world is what? We are taught we cannot earn our salvation. There are lots of faiths that have similar moral codes. There are a lot of faiths that tell you about being a good person. There's a lot of faiths that tell you you shouldn't murder, that you shouldn't steal, that you shouldn't lie, that you shouldn't commit adultery. There are a lot of moral faiths that try to teach you to be a good person. This is the only one that teaches you can never earn heaven. You are incapable of it. It's a gift given to you by a God that handcrafted you and loved you. And brothers and sisters, that changes everything. If it's something that I can earn, then there is an arrogance and a pride that will naturally come up in my heart. Because as I progress to it, I will go look at what I have done. But if it is a gift that I could have never had that's been given to me, then the closer I get to it, actually the more humble I should become. Because the closer I get to it, the more I see it, the more I realize I don't deserve this. How much He must love me. Throughout Scripture, God calls to this. In Mark 2.17, Jesus reminds us of this truth. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came to call them not the righteous, but sinners. So why is Paul trying to center us on being sinners? Because that's who Jesus came for. If you want to arrogantly stand up and go, I'm an awesome person, Jesus is never going to be needed by you. You're never going to fall at His feet. You're going to sit there and you're going to go, I'm good, I got this. And frankly, there are a lot of really good people in this world that's exactly how they live. Have you ever met somebody who's just like a really awesome person, but they have no love for God at all? It's so confusing because when you look at their behaviors, you want to go like, you sacrifice for people. You do good things. You take care of your family. You help strangers. You make the world a better place. What is this? And it's because in them, they just have a desire to do good. But guess what? For some of them, that's the barrier of why they'll never fall down at the feet of the Savior. Is when they look in the mirror, they go, I'm a good person. I need no one to save me. It is a blessing to look in the mirror and realize, I'm sick and I need a Savior. And the moment you lose that, fall back on your knees and you ask God to remind you of what He's done in your life. To be honest, brothers and sisters, it's one of the greatest travesty pastors have made in this generation is we don't talk about sin anymore. And we say we don't talk about sin anymore because it's negative and it makes people feel bad and no one wants their toes stepped on and it's not politically correct. But you know what? The reason you need to hear about sin is it reminds you of the gift you've been given. It reminds you how amazing your Savior is. It reminds you that you need to turn to Him each and every day. In Titus 3.5, Paul says this. He says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. 
Why did God save you? Because God is awesome. Not because you're awesome. Because He's awesome. God saved you because He is this unbelievable being of love, mercy, and forgiveness. We forget that sometimes. We forget that because sometimes we look at this book and we realize like there's this moral code in it that says we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that and we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. And so we start to build this picture of God as this rule maker who's just always restricting our lives. Always, always asking us to refrain from something. And because of that, we tend to paint Him as this unfun, uncool, unloving God that's just harshly sitting there judging us. The reality is that's not Him at all. He asked us not to do these things because He knows that they're better off for us not to be done. And what we miss is everything He's ever worked towards is to save you, to bring you from death to life, and to give you a quality of life you could have never understood before. God is a God of love, not judgment. And we miss that. He's this awesome, loving being. Now why is Paul take the first two chapters of this book to hit so hard on this message. It's because he's going to go start stomping on people's toes. In the further chapters, what he's going to start doing is he's going to start looking at the Ephesians and going, alright, so you remember where you were. You remember what he's done for you. You remember the amazing power and love that he used to bring you back to life. I need you to use those things to get right. Because some of you are not living in a way that reflects you have a relationship with the Almighty God. Some of you are not living in a way that shows people you're His ambassador. Some of you are not living in a way where if you were the only individual that anyone knew that reflected God, that they would ever think that God was good. And you need to change that. And so the whole setup of this book is to remind us where we've been, what God has done, and to give us hope, if He could bring us back from death, He can sure as heck change those other things in our lives. That's where He's trying to center us. Look with me in verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So what's he saying? At this point, Paul is talking to a mixed audience. He's talking to Jews, and he's talking to non-Jews. And the Jews had an arrogance in them because they went, we are the people of God. We're God's chosen people. In my DNA, in my flesh, in my blood is God's fathership. I'm better than you. And what Paul's saying here is, uh uh-uh. You do not carry in your DNA holiness. What makes you God's people is faith. What makes you God's people is that you are His spiritual children that submit to Him. And this love that God offers is open to anyone who will see Him, come to Him, and worship Him. Anyone. It's a beautiful thing. Because the reality is, there's not a lot of things that pull us together anymore. 
we have a natural part of us in humanity that makes us just want to be around people like us. If you ever want to know this, just watch any of your favorite news channels. They never really challenge your thought. They just agree with what you already were thinking. Right? Let's get all the Republicans together and we'll yell about how stupid the Democrats are and how liberal they are and how they're going to kill our country. And then let's go to this channel and we'll listen to all the Democrats talk about how the Republicans are all stupid and how they're all dumb and how they're going to ruin this country. You rarely see a channel where you actually get both perspectives. Because guess what? No one's searching for new information. They're just simply searching for people to agree with them. Yep, you're right. You're smart. You're the good one. They're the idiots. That's what we do. God goes, no, I'm pulling everybody together. From different backgrounds, from different nationalities, from different creeds, from different faiths, I'm bringing you all to me with the offer of what my son did for you on that cross. Because at the end of the day, while you think these details make you different, each and every one of you is my handcrafted child that I made. And in each of you, I offer you to be my child again. It's a beautiful thing that's open to everyone. It's a wonderful, amazing act of love. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken us down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of command that expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, to those who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I have come to bring you together. I've come for you to stop focusing on the things that make you different. And I brought you together to focus on the Spirit of God that fills you with power, love, and self-discipline. And in all the differences you bring together, God will build you into one holy temple where His Spirit lives. One of the things I'm most happy about at this church is when I look out and I see all the different people here. And it wasn't that way five years ago. We used to be a bunch of old white people sitting in this room. And in San Antonio, Texas, that's not a good thing. When I look around this room now, what I feel is I feel like anybody could walk in here and go, I want to follow Christ, and we go, welcome, brother. Welcome, sister. And that's what Paul's talking to here. People back then, just as much as today, had their racism and their pride. And the Jews wanted to say, we're better. And the Gentiles wanted to say, they're better. And God wanted to come in and go, none of you are better. You are all sick fools that need help. Stop being proud. Be humble. Realize that your Father is here to heal you and let's come together. And if you will do that, my goodness, what we will accomplish. I will fill you with a spirit unlike anything you have ever felt and you will do things you never dreamt that you could do. There's a statement in there that, 
that Paul makes that always struck me. And it's when he compares you and I to the saints. What Paul wants you to realize is you and I are often the ones that limit what God can accomplish in our lives. You and I are the ones that limit what He's going to do in our lives. Paul wants the people of Ephesus to realize that they can be heroes of the faith just like Moses was, just like Daniel was, just like David was, just like anybody in the Bible. There's something in us where we sometimes read these stories and we act like these people are superhuman. What's crazy is the Bible actually does a fantastic job of reminding us they're flawed, messed up humans just like you and me. Some of you, though, have settled to just be mediocre. You've settled to just be this nameless Christian that gets into heaven by the skin of your back. Instead, what you should be striving for is to be a hero of the faith. To be someone who walks so bravely, so courageously, so powerfully with God that others take notice, not of you, but of Him. Don't settle to just be in the family. Go out there and be a trailblazer. One of my favorite guys is Joseph. One of my favorite things about Joseph is, one, you don't read a lot of bad stories about him. There's not a lot of places where you read about his life and you're like, oh, he was really being a jerk right there. Man, he was really lost from God there. But the second thing that I love is, besides him walking the straight and narrow, do you know what everybody around him said? God blesses him. God blesses him. And God's at work in his life. God is touching what he touches. Do you get that? People looked at Joseph's life and never went, Joseph's awesome. Joseph's an amazing guy. Joseph's brilliant. Everything Joseph touches turns to gold, man. No, people looked at his life and went, his God is amazing. His God is awesome. Man, I want that to be my life. The people never see me, they just see him. But you and I sometimes what we do is we go, not me. I wasn't made to be that. Remember how Jesus describes the relationship. In John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. What is he saying? He's saying he's the vine with the branches. What's that mean? It means the power, love, the self-discipline comes not from you, it comes from him. The same power that defeated death, the same power that washed away the sins of mankind, the same power that performed all those amazing miracles, it didn't stop and die in Christ. It lives in you. It flows through your body. It's present in your spirit. Show it. Show it. I mean, brothers and sisters, we've got to ask ourselves at some point why we don't see the miracles every day now. Is it because God's power suddenly shut off? Or is it because we're not using it? We're not leaning into it. We're not relying on it. We're not pulling from it. He is the vine. We are the branches. If we are connected to Him, we only have one option. And that is to grow and produce amazing fruit. Fruit that all the world will see. Over these next few weeks, I will step on your toes. And I should correct that. I'm not really going to. He's going to. 
We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about gender. We're going to talk about raising your children, which includes disobedience and obedience. I'm going to talk about most of the things that tick people off and they get offended by. Why? Because that's what God says is the opportunity for you to show in your life you're His child and that He is awesome. The reason He is going to go after this is because He wants to encourage you to be more than what you are today. Don't settle to just be in the family. Strive to be someone that is an instrument of God that does amazing and almighty works. Strive to be used by Him in such a way that literally it changes the course of history. Don't just settle to go, God, get me through Monday. Which, let's be real, some of you, that's your prayer, isn't it? Get me through this week, God. Get me through this meeting. Get me through this day. No! God, use me to change eternity. God, use me to shake someone's life up. God, use me to be light in the midst of darkness. God, use me to bring faith and hope and peace to a place that knows none of those. Expand the reach of your dreams. Because guess what? The same God that split the Red Sea is still your God. The same God that raised Jesus from the grave is still the God working in your life. And so when you foolishly sit there and go, well, he can't fix this marriage. No, he can't help me get my kid's life right. No, he can't do it. Yes, he can. You just don't want him to. I'll leave you with one last quote. It's kind of the quote that inspired me throughout this this sermon to be thinking about where God wants to take us. Tozer says, we can be in our day with the heroes of faith who are in their day. But remember, at that time, they didn't know they were heroes. I guarantee you, when Job was sitting there, sick, broke, and with his family gone, he never thought that thousands of years from now, in a country called America, that there would be millions of people reading his story and finding hope in it. Moses never thought when he was standing there looking at that sea that what was about to happen would be something that we would talk about for generations upon generations. So just as they didn't know, you may be sitting there as someone God will use to do unbelievable and amazing things. You just don't know it. Trust the God of the impossible to do that in your life. Stop settling and dream to do big things that will glorify Him. Be open to His Word. Be open to what He says. And I promise you, we can experience awesome things. Before Maria comes up, I'm just going to ask for you guys to take a moment where you're at to silently go to the Lord in prayer. We often don't have a lot of silence in our lives. Just take a few moments where you're at to have a conversation with your Father. If at the end of that you need someone to pray with, I will be up here at the front. Brother James will be at the back. Feel free to come up and talk to us or seek us out after service. But let's just take a few moments to go to the Lord in prayer.